0: This is Rabbi Shammai Engelmeyer and welcome to Keep the Faith, our weekly podcast in which we explore contemporary issues through the prism of Jewish law and tradition. Today is Israel's 74th birthday. I had hoped to discuss various things Israel in today's podcast. The news got in the way. As you all probably have heard, the U.S. Supreme Court appears poised to overturn two of the most significant rulings in its long history, 1973's Roe v. Wade and 1992's Planned Parenthood v. Casey. Roe v. Wade prohibited states and local governments from banning abortions, and Casey reaffirmed that decision 19 years later. The leaking of what is claimed to be the High Court's final decision, which is not due to be issued before the end of June, has caused a firestorm of angry protests. I discussed abortion several times, including this past July. We know the leaked opinion is real. What we don't know is whether it's the opinion the Court will actually hand down next month. Given the news, though, another look is warranted. And so, the topic for this week is where Jewish law stands on abortion. As I've noted in previous podcasts on this subject, and as some news reports have highlighted in the last few days, there's no simple answer to that question. All of Judaism's major religious streams, Orthodox, Conservative, Reform, and Reconstructionist, have weighed in at one time or another on the side of Roe v. Wade, usually only on freedom of religion grounds. None of Judaism's streams encourage abortion, per se, and some of the more stringent interpreters of Jewish law insist that halakha prohibits abortions, although they're divided over the reasons why and whether the Torah outlaws it, or whether this was something imposed by our sages of blessed memory. There are times, though, when even the most stringent interpreters of Jewish law will allow abortions and even insist on one. A Jewish court, bet din, even has the power to go beyond insisting on an abortion and actually ordering one if it deems that a woman's life is somehow at risk. If abortion was made illegal, as many states are poised to do if the Supreme Court does overturn Roe v. Wade, that power would be taken away, which all of Judaism's major religious streams would consider a violation of religious freedom. In other words, while none of Judaism's streams support abortion on demand in the broadest application of that term... Even the most stringent authorities favor the fewest government restrictions on its availability. The late Rabbi Moshe Kendler, a renowned biologist as well as an acclaimed authority on Jewish law on the far right, was opposed to abortion generally, but nevertheless he opposed government efforts to ban abortion. Quote, I am a strong believer in the separation of church and state and I believe that minority religious rights are best protected if government protects the rights of each individual to practice his religion without imposing any restrictions, Unquote. We'll come back to that opinion towards the end of this podcast. There are Midrashic commentaries and other rabbinic literature spanning nearly 2,000 years that have painted an idealized picture of the fetus including having it studying Torah while still in the womb. But these are commentaries and individual opinions. They're not law, and certainly not normative Jewish law. Normative Jewish law doesn't recognize the fetus as being a nefesh, in this case meaning an actual human. To be sure, interpreters of Jewish law are divided on the question of the viability of the fetus, its status as an actual human is indisputable because halacha, Jewish law, doesn't view the fetus as having an identity independent of itself until the head begins to crown during birth. As the Talmud puts it, gufahi, it's her body meaning that the fetus has the same status as, say, a woman's hair or her fingernails. That status changes only when birthing begins. That's also why the Torah denies the father any right to decide the fetus's fate, just as he has no say in whether his wife gets a haircut or a manicure. Hufahi. It's her body, not his Our sages base their ruling on a verse in Exodus 21, as it relates to another verse, this one in Numbers 36. Here's what the Exodus verse says, quote, When men fight and one of them pushes a pregnant woman and a miscarriage results, but no other damage ensues to the mother, the one responsible for the miscarriage shall be fined, unquote. Now, here's what the Numbers verse says, quote, You shall not accept a ransom for the life of a murderer who is guilty of a capital crime, ye must be put to death. In other words, under no circumstances can money or anything else buy a person's way out of being punished for having killed another human being. So if the Exodus verse says a monetary fine is the punishment for a person who causes a miscarriage, It follows that the unborn fetus is not considered a human being. Someone could argue that the Exodus verse refers to a fetus that hasn't yet been fully formed, probably only a few weeks old at best. There are two reasons why such an argument is without merit. First, of course, is that the verse in Exodus doesn't qualify when the miscarriage occurred. The second goes back to the Talmud's declaration of Gufahim. It's her body. The Talmud says it's her body, and her body alone until birthing has begun, which means for the entire nine months that the fetus has been carried by her. It's definitely not a life as Judaism defines life. Late one-time Chief Rabbi of the British Commonwealth, Rabbi Lord Emmanuel Jacobovitz, a renowned medical ethicist, once wrote that in Jewish law, the right to life of a fetus, quote, before birth, is entirely unrelated to the theological considerations. Neither the question of the entry of the soul before birth, nor the claim to salvation after death, have any practical bearing on the subject, unquote. This is true, he said, even though Jewish law strenuously tries to protect the unborn child whenever possible and whenever practicable. He noted, for example, that it's even permissible to violate Shabbat in order to save an unborn child. However, he added, none of those regulations are based on the premise, quote, that the fetus enjoys human inviolability, unquote. The late Rabbi Kendler made a similar point, quote, We must realize that in the Catholic Church, fetal life takes precedence over maternal life, because in their view, Fetus, unlike the mother, is yet without sin. This is a fundamental difference with the Jewish point of view on abortion. Unquote. Rabbis Jacobowitz and Tendler were Orthodox, a conservative authority. The late Rabbi David Feldman wrote this in his book on the subject. Quote, While Christianity's position on abortion has raised the moral level of Western civilization in this regard and has succeeded in sensitizing humanity to a greater reverence for life, it is obviously comprised at the same time of theological postulates, which the Jewish community cannot share, unquote. That the fetus is not a life, as Judaism defines life, is normative Judaism's position. And it all begins with that verse from Exodus 21. By interpreting the verse the way they did, the sages were able to rule that a woman's life takes precedence over the life of her fetus. When a pregnancy endangers the woman's life, the fetus must be aborted, despite one sage's claim that a fetus is fully fashioned on the 41st day of pregnancy. Maimonides, the Rambam, codified the decision of the sages in chapter 1 of his The Laws of Murder. And so did the authoritative code of Jewish law, the Shulchan Aruch. Until it begins to be born, the fetus is not a life according to established Jewish law. Rambam explains this by also citing the ruling that once the fetus does begin to emerge, the mother's life cannot be saved at the expense of the life of her emerging child. That's because Jewish law states that, quote, one life may not be taken to save another. Unquote. If the fetus may be aborted before its head begins to crown, but not after, because at that point it's considered a life, it follows that the unemerged fetus is not considered a life. I should note that among the most strict interpreters of Jewish law, the fetus at this stage of pregnancy is a live human being. They argued that allowing it to be aborted before birth is an exception. All of what I just said would seem to suggest that Judaism, in fact, supports a woman's right to choose. After all, it's her body, and the fetus, regardless of its stage of physical development, is not an independent life. And indeed, the more liberal authorities agree, including among the Orthodox, albeit They all have reservations on moral grounds. It's one thing to allow and even encourage a woman to have an abortion because her health, mental or physical, may be endangered by the fetus. It's It's quite another to look with dispassion on an abortion performed when no danger exists or worse, performed for frivolous reasons. In one respect, though, Judaism does offer a backhanded support for a woman's right to choose. As I mentioned earlier, if her health is at risk and she refuses to abort, a bet din, a Jewish religious court, theoretically can order her to have one. Although these days, such a court has no practical way of enforcing such an order, it would be more accurate, therefore, to say that Judaism supports a woman's right to have an abortion. For reasons it considers valid while recognizing that the decision on whether the reasons are valid must be the mother. As noted, of course, some authorities insist abortion is prohibited by Torah itself. Their reasoning, however, is convoluted in context. It states in Genesis chapter 9, quote, "...whoever sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed." Unquote. However, the Hebrew doesn't quite resemble the translation. The verse may also be literally translated this way, whoever sheds man's blood within man, his blood shall be shed. As the sage Rabbi Yishmael put it, what is a man within another man, not an embryo in his mother's womb? That verse in Genesis literally can be read that way. But that's not the way we do translate. The normative accepted translation is, quote, whoever sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, unquote. And it's interpreted in Jewish law as a mandate from the Torah to permit any method of execution that doesn't require the shedding of blood. That meant hanging. In modern times past, that also meant the electric chair or gas chamber. Today, it means lethal injection. In any case, but the rabbis who see an abortion ban in Genesis 9 can't answer is why abortion is murder. It's nevertheless not classified as a capital crime, either in Exodus 21 or in any other verse in the Torah or in the deliberations of the sages, or why, in fact, that it carries no punishment. The best answer they can come up with is that it does carry punishment, but at the hands of heaven and not by earthly authorities. Here's the bottom line. Most authorities would permit abortions if the physical health of the mother is in danger. Some are more comfortable allowing it through the first 40 days. Many others will allow abortions all the way up to the moment of birth. Admittedly, defining the health of the mother is subject to varying opinions. Some see it as her life being in actual danger. Others see it as there being a potential risk to her life. Still other authorities took an even more liberal view, extending the definition to include quality of life issues. For example, Ben Mayor Hai Uziel, the late Sparty chief rabbi in pre-statehood Israel, what was then known as mandatory Palestine. Once ruled in favor of an abortion, when tests showed that the mother would likely become deaf if she carried to term. If a woman became pregnant after a rape or incest, many authorities would allow her to decide on an abortion in those cases. Some would even allow it in cases where the fetus developed out of an adulterous relationship. The adultery issue is informative because a rabbi in the Middle Ages ruled that such fetuses may not be aborted. A generation or so later, however, another rabbi ruled that the fetus could be aborted. And it's his reason that's important, because it has echoes of the gufahi, it's her body ruling. In ancient times, he said, adulterers were supposed to be executed assuming, of course, that a case for adultery could be made in court, which is highly unlikely. Anyway, the rabbi reasoned that the woman would be executed even though she was pregnant. Executing the woman meant executing the fetus. So what difference is there, the rabbi asked, between executing a fetus and abortion? Abortions also were seen by many authorities as acceptable, Tests showed that the unborn fetus would suffer from some horrible disease or physical deformity. Even some orthodox authorities on the right have permitted abortions in cases of Tay-Sachs disease, for example, or even in rubella cases. Clearly, there's no easy answer to where Judaism stands on the broad abortion question. But just as clearly we have a stake in preserving Roe v. Wade, And our voices need to be heard, and clearly and urgently, they need to be heard now. For us, tampering with abortion in any substantive way infringes on our First Amendment right to freedom of religion. Just like with freedom of speech or freedom of the press, both of which are under attack by many of the same people who oppose abortion, period. Campering in any way with freedom of religion opens a door we should never have to go through. Rabbi Tendler, as you heard, had a strong opinion about that, and he once explained why. Quote, My father-in-law, the late Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, felt very strongly that allowing government to legislate in any area of morals and ethics gives them a toehold in religion And if you let them in a little bit, the government will begin to expand its role in this area and start legislating what is proper to teach and what is proper to do in a religious context. Now, Rabbi Feinstein had lived some 10 to 15 years under Stalin, and his experience of the Russian government's total involvement in the religious life of the Jew was so traumatic that he held fast to the idea we should keep the government away from religion, even in those instances where legislation might seem to be supportive of the Torah point of view. For Rabbi Feinstein, the complete separation of church and state was absolutely necessary for the survival of any minority group, unquote. I should note that the late Rabbi Moshe Feinstein was a leading halachic authority of the very far right. Uri Litsedek, the Orthodox Social Justice Organization, last year summed up its opposition to government intrusion regarding abortion in a letter signed by 59 rabbis. And it recently re-released that letter, I'll end by quoting from it. Quote, Jewish law shows the utmost concern for life and potential life. Our communities are emphatically pronatal celebrating new lives, and investing heavily in the education and moral development of our children. At the same time, there are cases where Jewish law requires aborting a pregnancy. Abortions are devastating, and we counsel them in situations where tragedy is nearly inevitable or has already occurred. But tragedies happen, and abortion is a medical procedure used by Jews since antiquity to mitigate dire outcomes and protect life. Government bans on abortion are cruel to all women. And for Jewish women, it constitutes a violation of their constitutionally protected right to practice religion and of their unalienable rights to pursue life, liberty, and happiness as understood by Jewish law and practice. Decisions about abortion should be left in the hands of women, their health care providers, and any religious and spiritual guidance they choose to seek out." This is Rabbi Shammai Engelmeyer. I do hope you come back for my next podcast. And I'd like to hear what you have to say about this or my other podcasts. Go to www.shammai.org www.shammai.org and email me, please. If you don't get the Jewish standard but want to read my columns, go to the columns page of my website. The latest column is about the moral pandemic we're living through that's even worse than the physical one, the moral pandemic known as selfishness. Do something today to celebrate Israel's 74th birthday. Shmach alone, Stay healthy. Keep wearing those N95 masks in indoor venues, no matter who tells you otherwise. And get fully vaccinated if you haven't done so as yet, including both the first and second booster shot. And above all, stay safe.